Um, I pray, Father, for those that are struggling with health problems right now, um, for uh, Sue and for Mary. Uh, pray that uh, Jacob's medical situation will be resolved quickly. Um, pray for Matthew and his family as they come this way, that uh, you'll keep them safe on the road and uh, just uh, keep, them, keep them all warm as they're uh, doing their traveling. It's a pretty good-sized journey. And uh, continue to uh, pray for um, Charlotte's vehicle, that she'll figure out how to get that fixed. Um, pray for Izzy's health and for her uh, situation with her uh, school and so forth. And just want to pray that you will resolve all these issues and that we will trust you. Open our hearts and minds to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10. Uh, I'm going to read the English Standard Version. And then we're going to take a look at this one more time. We looked at it a, a good bit last week, but I've got some finishing comments to make. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves, as in recommend, in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. So, Last week, we looked at this idea of going through difficulty, of going through struggle, and how that can actually make you more like Christ. And certainly, you know, many of us are going through challenging times, uh, challenging economic times, uh, challenging times with our health, um, looking at uh, all of the divisiveness in our country. Um, and of course, we all went through the pandemic and, you know, all of these things. The question is, how have we handled it? Right? How have you handled yourself? Have you just been like everybody else in the world? Right? Have you been like your political tribe? Because that's what happened during the pandemic. Everybody just kind of divided into these political camps. And that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Or have you sought to um, reflect Christ? Okay? You commend yourselves by reflecting Jesus. Um, and then uh, he goes through all of these. Uh, areas where we commend ourselves to others. We, we recommend Christ to others by letting people see him in our lives and the way we handle trouble and difficulty, persecution, all those sorts of things. And then we recommend Christ or commend Christ to others by uh, displaying what could be broadly construed or classified as virtue, right? Um, purity knowledge, patience, kindness, the presence of the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God, right? So um, that was where I kind of concluded last week where I uh, landed on this idea that we really need to develop our Christian faith. We need to stop just kind of, you know, being passive about our faith, right? Right. Um, your Christian faith shouldn't just be about attending church. 
um, or even, you know, reading the Bible on occasion and those sorts of things. It's about developing Christ-like character. And uh, I gave an extended quote by Dallas Willard last week that concluded with a quote that I have repeated many times from him, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. So we're not saying you're earning your salvation, you're earning your way to heaven, but what we are saying is you really do need to work at it. You need to work at becoming more like Jesus. It's actual work. So I got my kids in my karate class, right? And I've got kids that are, and they're kids, and they've been the same belt for two years, right? And, you know, now for me, as an adult, two years goes by like that. But I want you to remember when you were a kid, how long is two years? It's like forever, right? Well, the only reason that they don't promote is because they won't memorize the scriptures. They just won't do it. It requires work. Um, believe it or not, that can be a part of, you know, uh, quality character formation in you is to memorize scripture because then you can call that back up and it shapes your thinking. Um, here is how um, the Petrine letter, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11, talks about this character development. Peter writes, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. That means to add to your faith. Right now, it's faith alone, sola fide. That's what saves you. But here, Peter says, make every effort, right? Work at it to supplement your faith with virtue. There's the word. Sometimes it'll say, another translation may say, moral excellence and virtue with knowledge. So you do need to increase your knowledge about Jesus and, um, about the Bible, right? About theology or, or, or God and so forth. And then you supplement knowledge with self-control. Boy, I work on that one all the time. And then you supplement self-control with steadfastness. Now, that's a good old word. Um, it means endurance, right? Um, or perseverance. But I, I like it because it means you, you've got to hang on. man. In our era, uh, this is an apostate era. There's just a lot of people falling away. They didn't supplement their, uh, well, they may back up before the self-control issue, but they didn't supplement their faith with steadfastness. And then add to steadfastness, godliness. Godliness is devotion, right? Uh, that's another old word that you only pretty much hear in church. But to be godly means to be respectful of the Lord, to be dedicated, devoted to the Lord. That, to be honest, it sort of sounds like or seems like being religious. But see, that can be very, very negative. But have you ever heard someone say, oh, I do that religiously? What do they mean when they say that? They're very devoted to it. They're dedicated to it. They really, really do it, and they're serious about it. I wonder if people do their Christian faith religiously. I mean, you know, or do we just fall out of it every time we get into a, you know, a different environment? 
Okay. And then you add to your godliness, brotherly affection. Um, that could be kindness. That could be another uh, way of uh, translating that. And then add to your brotherly affection, love. Now, you would think brotherly affection and love, same thing. But you guys, um, those in this room, have been through my series on the four loves. Um, but uh, the basic love that undergirds all love is the love that comes from God, right? Which is the commitment to act in the best interest of another person, right? So it doesn't have really, affection is not necessarily part of love. It is a commitment to do what's best for you, whether I feel affection or not. So interestingly, he said we should have brotherly affection for one another, kindness toward one another. But then, you know, finally, we need to undergird it all with love. And of course, the Apostle Paul said, you know, the greatest of these is love. Continuing in the the second Peter uh, verse eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, I think that that's the problem today. We're ineffective and we're unproductive. We're unfruitful, all right? Verse nine, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Um, So, and then let's move over to a passage uh, from Philippians. This is Philippians 3, 8 through 15, where we have the Apostle Paul, who very much believed that salvation is by faith alone, okay? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. But that doesn't mean you don't work at your faith. And here it is, uh, Philippians 3, 8 through 15. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The Greek there is skubala, it's very close to a cuss word. It really is. It's very close to a word in English that starts with an S and ends with a T, right? Um, rubbish, poop. In order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this. What, you know, see, Paul, faith, salvation, I've already got it. And here he's saying, I haven't already obtained this, nor am I already perfect, but I press on. See, you keep working. You should be more like Jesus today than you were last week and definitely more than last year. What we're finding in our apostate era is that people aren't even, you know, as close to God as they were when they were, you know, in the youth group or, you know, uh, before the pandemic, okay? They may have been closer to the Lord during the pandemic because they were clinging to him. Now that we're on the other side of it, I mean, 
we held on to all of our members during the pandemic and then boop, we got people going here and hither and yon after and not all those people have you know gone south and turned their backs on god or anything that's not what i'm saying uh, but what i am saying is that there are some that <clears throat> have drifted away and they haven't come back right we have people in this church that attended regularly before the pandemic. The pandemic hit, and they haven't attended regularly or at all since, okay? Now, I'm not trying to judge them. I'm simply looking at externals here and trying to help us to understand we really need to do something about our faith. And here I am preaching to the choir, right? But hopefully, when you're taught in these scenarios, you let this travel through you and to other people who maybe are struggling with, you know, um, apostasy, turning away from the Lord or just drifting away from the Lord that you might encourage them to come back, right? So he says, I press on to make it my own. That is this resurrection life that he's looking forward to because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So he doesn't even think he has it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, complete, think this way. So that's what we're doing. We're seeking to draw closer to the Lord, not just in our affection for him, but in our Christ-likeness, and that recommends Jesus to everybody around us. Um, this word that we he ends with here, let it, those of us who are mature, um, it's the same word Jesus uses in Matthew 5, 48, when he says, be ye perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's a word that means be complete, okay, to reach an end. So we're always just like this final example that Paul uses in Philippians 3, we're always stretching forward toward the goal. We're running for the tape, okay? We're pressing on. We're constantly moving forward, becoming more like Jesus. So we need to, you know, it's the first of the year is right around the corner. Good opportunity to set some goals, right? Stop making excuses. Start applying diligent effort to your confession of faith. So, um, that was uh, when uh, I read Peter's assessment here when he says, make every effort, right? Um, be diligent. Um, put some hustle in your faith. And then Philippians 2.12, uh, it's a, a chapter before the, the bit I just read here. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I like that. Um, so Oswald Chambers has a famous devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. Um, I've gone through it three or four times in my Christian journey. And once again, there's a good opportunity for you. Go through My Utmost for His Highest in the new year. Good chance for you to get closer to the Lord. Um, but he has a theme that he treats a number of times in My Utmost for His Highest uh, where he says, work out what God has worked in. Are you saved? Do you really have a relationship with Jesus? Then you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. You need to call on the name of the Lord and receive him. But once the Holy Spirit comes in, he gives you a new birth. And that gives you a new nature. So then 
the rest of our earthly life, we spend in this struggle between the old and the new. That's why the Apostle Paul in the text that I just read in Philippians says, forgetting what lies behind. That's your old nature, your old life. Okay, all your old mistakes, all those things. Forget all, forget all that and press forward, okay? Act in accordance with the Christ-like nature that is in you. Work out what God has worked in, all right? I like that. Further, in this idea of commending ourselves as Christians to others, recommending Christ, not just with our words, but with our attitude and our actions, we commend ourselves regardless of how we're treated. So we commend ourselves in the struggle, okay, in trouble, in difficulty, in challenges, when we're persecuted, when we're sick, um, you know, uh, when we're encountering uh, any sort of opposition in our personal lives and our relationships and our finances, all of those. We commend ourselves by how we handle ourselves when we're in trouble, okay? We commend ourselves with virtue, right? With a Christ-like life. And we commend ourselves regardless of how we're treated. This is verses 8 through 10. So he says we're treated as imposters, right? Oh, Paul's not. That's not real. That's not true. But he says we are true. We're treated as unknown. Yeah, I feel like that a lot. Do you feel unknown sometimes? You know, look at somebody else's social media and they've got all these, hey, yeah. You know, people are tripping over themselves to comment on them. Oh, yes, and you're wonderful. Oh, my gosh. You know, and I put something up, and there's just like one person's like, eh. Yeah, great. Treated as unknown, but we're well known. Treated as though we were dying. But he says, behold, we live. Punished. And, you know, he went through a lot of punishment that was unjust, right? He was beaten. He was stoned. He was jailed. But. We're not killed, okay? Sorrowful, but we're always rejoicing. This is something that I tell people when I um, uh, do funerals, when I officiate funerals. Um, and we just had one that I, uh, memorial service slash funeral that I officiated here last Saturday. Um, I organize it around four words. And the first word is mourn, Right? Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus said, for they shall be comforted. And then Solomon said, it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Why? Because we learn and we grow in those experiences and because the Lord comforts us. So when you're sad about something, and it's legitimate, you're not pouting, feeling sorry for yourself. You're sad because you've lost someone in your life, for example. Um, you have this inner joy because as was the case with the person uh, that I did the funeral for on Saturday, this is, by the way, this is not someone who I knew. Uh, it's a, a friend of mine. Um, the family didn't have a close relationship with a particular church. And uh, so a friend, the friend of mine who was this lady that passed away's friend asked me to do the funeral um, but she was a she was a believer, and uh, this friend of mine that asked me to do the funeral, I asked the family to have her do the eulogy and the reading of the remembrances. And when I do a funeral, that's the second word that I use to organize the funeral. The first one is mourn. The second one is remember. And uh, these days, 
Many funerals are just about people standing up and saying what they remember about the person, and that's pretty much it. Man, this lady wanted the gospel shared. And y'all know me. I absolutely shared the gospel and gave those people an opportunity to get saved, right? Because that's the final word that I, that I use is assurance. I want them to have assurance that they will be in heaven with that loved one And the only way I can offer that is through Jesus, right? So we can have joy, this inner joy, even when we're sorrowful, because we know we serve a God that's going to work everything out for our good and his glory. You need to hang on to that. No matter what you're going through, we need to stop going through things like we're worldly people devoid of hope in Christ. No, God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you love God? Are you pursuing his call to be more like Jesus? Then there's your promise right there. And you can have that firm, confident faith. And even when you're sad, right? Even when you're going through these things where people are treating you like you're an imposter, people are ignoring you, you're unknown, okay? Um, you know, um, you're dying to self all the time. There's all these things that you would like to go and do, but you can't do them, right? Um, you're being punished for things you didn't do. You're sorrowful, right? This next one is we're poor, but we make many rich. Man, I hope I win the lottery because I'm just gonna, my goal is gonna be to give it all away. But not in a day. I mean, I'm gonna spread it out over the rest of my life, Okay. But if I if I ever won the lottery, I wouldn't go out and buy 10 exotic cars and, you know, a mansion. And, you know, people all people can think about is me, 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 me. I'm going to buy this and I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that and I'm going to buy that. It's not going to make you happy. It just clutters your life up. Right. So you got a garage full of all these, you know, you got people like. Oh, you know, Jay Leno, I mean, he's made a, a life of this, so I'm not trying to, you know, talk down on him or whatever. And he loves cars. He's, you know, he does a TV show about cars. He's got all these cars, 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 cars. I, I don't even want to keep track of all that, man. You know, it's like if I won the lottery, I'd have I'd have my truck and I'd pay it off and I would uh, buy an electric vehicle and I'd buy a house. But it wouldn't be a big house, just a decent house. Big house, I got to clean it, right? I don't want to do that. I just, you know, smaller house. Um, and then I, I can charge the electric car, right? So, yeah, that's pretty much everything else is find ways to spread the gospel and help people out. That's what I would like to do, right? So we're poor. Even if you're rich, the Apostle Paul says you need to count yourself as poor when it concerns this world. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. You can be poor or poor in spirit, even if you are financially rich, because you don't count that as something that belongs to you. What I see is as soon as people get a hold of money, it gets a hold of them. That's what happens. And then he says, having nothing yet possessing everything. And that's, he's, uh, that is the apostle Paul has covered that theme uh, elsewhere where he said, as I just mentioned, that you need to you need to not hold on to any of this, right? I mean, what do you own that you couldn't let go of? You know, frankly, I could let go of any of it. Um, you know, I use this computer a lot. So it's like, you know, heaven forbid, 
if I was in a situation where there's like a burning building or something like that, really the only thing I need to make sure I've got is this computer because I just, I use it all the time, you know, and I don't want to start over. Um, I mean, I could buy a new phone. I, you know, if I bought this watch, I can buy a new, I, I don't, you know, and even this, I mean, I've, uh, I've got most of my stuff stored on Dropbox and, you know, Apple, whatever. And so I'm sure I could buy another computer and restore it all. So I'd be fine. I've got clothes that are sitting in storage right now that I haven't seen in two years. And I'm so fat right now. I couldn't wear them anyway. What do I need all this stuff for you? The thing is, you don't need all this stuff. There's a, there's a guy named Richard Foster that wrote a book. And here's another book I can recommend to you. Remember, I recommended what? Oswald Chambers, My Atmosphere for His Highest. All right, here's another book I'm going to recommend to you. Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline or A Celebration of Discipline. And he talks about these practices that we need to integrate into our lives to become more Christ-like, a celebration of discipline. But one of those qualities that Richard Foster encourages is simplicity. See, our problem is we're just too complex complex, right? I have been using a password manager now for the last, I don't know, six or seven years because, I mean, I used to just use the same password everywhere. Now they, they want you to change it all the time and then add a character and add a number and, you know, this, 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 it's got to be longer. And so pretty soon I've got so many passwords that I'm entering into so many different places. I can't remember them. So I've got this password, but I hate that level of complexity. It's simplicity is just better. And so in this uh, book, A Celebration of Discipline, in the chapter where he talks about simplicity, um, I believe the title of the chapter is, listen to this because you'll get the whole thing just by the title. Ready? The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. Okay, so I'm buying my truck now uh, because turning it back in with the lease would have meant that I would have lost money and I would have had to try to buy something else when everything, the prices are so ridiculously elevated, okay? But honestly, I mean, for over 20 years, I just leased vehicles. I, they didn't belong to me. They belonged to Nissan, Right. And then for a couple of years there, I bought a couple of vehicles because I needed to, uh, I wanted to do a side business and try to earn money by driving. So I drove for Uber, I drove, drove for Lyft, I drove for Amazon, which by the way, zero fun. Wow, terrible. <laughs> that was the worst. And Uber Eats is pretty bad as well. So, um, but Uber and Lyft are kind of interesting because you pick people up and, you know, people and their personalities and all that. But except for those two years, I hadn't owned a car since, you know, 99. But now I'm buying this. And it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. You don't need to own all this stuff, right? Because once again, when you own so much, it ends up owning you, right? When we have the kind of attitude that I'm discussing here, we commend ourselves or recommend ourselves to other people. They look at you and they say, wow, you are different. And they may not understand it. It may seem weird to them, but it just keeps eating at them. Wow, 
There's something about you. I'm going to go way back in time. Um, when I was in my <clears throat> mid-20s, uh, early mid to mid-20s, I was the program director for a foster care group home in Phoenix, Arizona. And I started there as just a youth counselor. I was a part-time youth counselor, which meant I came in and I watched these obnoxious teenage boys for, you know, a shift. And then when I left, I left. And, you know, whatever they were doing to tear the house down and whatever else, I left it, you know, with the, the program you know, director that was in charge at that point in time. But I remember there was, there was uh, this other fella that had been hired. This is after I got promoted a couple of times. I left as the program director. I started as a youth counselor. Uh, I was a program supervisor for one house, and then they moved me to another house. They bought another house. I was the program supervisor there. Then I was the program director over the whole thing, okay? But when I was the program supervisor at the first house, there was a, a young man, I say young man, he's my age, um, that had been hired. And not everybody that worked there was a Christian. Now, the executive director, the one that started this agency, was a Christian. And he was very pleased that I was a believer and that, you know, I knew that I was going to eventually go into uh, ministry and preach and so forth. And so he hired this other uh, young man. And uh, the program director or supervisor at that point in time, when I was just a youth counselor, um, was not a believer. And he observed this other young man who was a Christian. And I, I know this is a long explanation of something, but this is just really, really struck me. <laughs> and it really made me feel kind of bad because he didn't recognize my Christian faith as being anything special. But this kid, this other guy's name was Kelly. And... Uh, you know, and this, the guy that I'm referring to, his name was Nick. He was the program direct, uh, supervisor of our house at that time. I'm a, I'm a youth counselor. Kelly's a youth counselor. And Nick is talking to me and he says, you know, he's just, he's so happy. He said, I just, I just watch him in there, you know, in the office. And, and it's, I'm telling you, you commend yourself to Christ in so many different ways. And he said, he's just sitting there at the desk, and he's got his little candies, and he's laying them out in a perfect little row. He <laughs> says he's just, he's happy. He's got joy. We don't commend ourselves to others when we're complainers, as I am apt to do, okay? When we're angry, when we're divisive, right? Um, we commend ourselves when we reflect Jesus. And so, yeah. I, I remember that to this day. All right, let's move on. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13. Apostle Paul <clears throat> pleads with them. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. So have you ever found yourself in the same position as Paul? So in a relationship context, in the, you know, uh, romantic area, this is what we call unrequited love, right? You love that person and they just don't love you. Are there people in your life 
that you really, really treat well and they just ignore you or they don't treat you well. This is what the Apostle Paul was experiencing from some in the Corinthian church. And it was because of the voices that the Corinthians had listened to. This is happening to us today. Right? Uh, you know, people that were at some point in time, gentle souls in love with Jesus, have started listening to these carping, hateful, um, uh, critical voices toward the church, right? And so now, because you're part of the church, you're part of the problem. And so now you're still kind to them and courteous to them, and they just ignore you. They don't have anything to do with you. They're, they're tuned into their tribe, and their tribe is not happy with the church or Christians or whatever, okay? What can we do? We just continue to commend ourselves to them, to love them, to leave the door open, okay? Um, and I, I have a whole lot of other things that I said in my notes here, but I really would like to get through um, this particular text. Um, I remember at the time I was originally doing this study, and this has been about eight or nine years ago that we went through Second Corinthians before. There was a quote that I saw on social media quite a bit back, back then by Maya Angelou. And she said, people may not remember what you said, but they will remember how you made them feel. That's pretty good, actually. And so people like me that want to clarify and teach the truth and speak the truth, you know, I have to be careful that my attitude is not such that it makes that person feel bad. Now, if they're misconstruing conviction from the Holy Spirit as just feeling bad, then I don't feel that there's a problem there, okay? The, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can draw people. But if I'm just being obnoxious, okay, you can be right and you can win the argument and lose the person. Right? So we have to be careful, especially in our divisive culture, especially when we deal with certain hot-button topics and issues, that we are gentle. We're firm, we're honest, but we're gentle. We're not overriding. So uh, an example that I'll use uh, that I encountered today, and uh, I discovered that this actually, what I'm about to relate to you, happened a year ago, but for whatever reason, um, it was posted on Facebook today. So I reposted it. If you go to my Facebook, you'll, you'll find this. But there is a guy uh, out there named Ken Ham, who's a real hardcore uh, believer in young earth creationism. Okay, now I'm not going to get into big details and, and start uh, a fight over this right here and now. But basically, young earth creationism means that these folks believe that the earth was created somewhere around 6,000 years ago in six literal 24-hour periods, okay? And this particular fella is extremely intolerant of anybody who holds any other view. William Lane Craig is an apologist who's debated at the highest levels. He's debated cosmologists, right? Um, he's debated 
skeptical biblical scholar. He debated Bart Ehrman, a um, guy who's just written all these books disparaging the Bible. He's debated everybody, okay? Uh, he wanted to debate Richard Dawkins, but Richard Dawkins said, no, 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 I'm not going to debate. He's a professional debater, and I'm not going to debate him, whatever. But Ken Ham made some really, really hateful comments toward William Lane Craig. This is a guy that's doing nothing but further Christianity in the world. And, you know, we need to be pulling together, not hating on each other, right? But see, this guy's just, you know, calling names and uh, it's just terrible. It, it shouldn't be happening. We, we've got to treat each other with courtesy and with kindness. We've got to be charitable toward each other when we don't agree in these issues. I do not believe that the world was created 6,000 years ago in six literal days. But that's not going to cause me to refuse to have fellowship or call somebody names who does believe that, okay? Um, I've got good reason to believe that scientists are probably correct and that that is not anything that contradicts Scripture if you understand how to read Scripture, right? But see, I can be charitable towards somebody, courteous towards somebody, and let them say their piece who does in fact believe that. Um, the point is, you can get into a debate with a Christian who believes certain things differently than you, you can get into a debate with someone from another religion. You can get into a debate with debate um, with an atheist or a purported agnostic. And you may have all the facts, right? And your temptation may be to say, you're just stupid. But that's, that's unchristlike. And all that's going to do is drive them away. They don't want to have anything to do with your Jesus, right? Because you're just being mean, all right? Um, so what I'm going to do here, I'm going to read this because you'll see how it, uh, you'll see how it ties in. Um, because let's, let's go back to the consideration of a former brother or sister in Christ who's turned their back on their faith. Okay. Somebody that's drifted way far away from the Lord or somebody that has just firmly turned their back on Christ. How do you treat that person? Well, I like to say I leave the door open, but I don't chase them. I don't chase people. I found out a long, I, it hurts me when people leave, right? But I don't chase people. It's, it's, it's counterproductive. I don't think chasing them brings them back. They need to know that you care and that the door is open, okay? But what happens if a former brother continues to choose unbelief or a manifestly godless lifestyle and rejects your overtures, your pleas to come back. Well, then the time may come to separate from them in the same way that you've got to stay away from the godless culture. Paul addresses the reason for the separation from the world and its people next. Now, we're going to look at this passage next week, but I'm going to read it in conclusion this week because this is the defining characteristic of what we need to do when people are consistently oppositional and contrary and refuse to have anything to do with your Jesus, okay? When you continue to have relationships with people like that, you give tacit approval to their behavior and you don't want to do that, okay? 
Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? Yoked, like this idea of two oxen, right? That have a yoke across their neck, right? And it's going from one ox and it's connecting that ox to the other ox. That's a yoke. Do not be unequally yoked. That means one ox is bigger than the other or one ox is stronger than the other. And so here's the guy that's trying to plow. He's got oxen, two of them here. He's trying to plow. Let's say this one on my left or on the guy's left is stronger. What's going to happen? That ox is going to pull ahead of the weaker one. What's going to happen to the plow? Yeah, you're not going to have straight rows. It's going to start pulling over to the side, right? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Belial, another name for the devil. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, and here's the quote, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So many things to be said about this passage, but I'll let you kind of uh, marinate on it and meditate on it until next week. And yes, we are going to meet next week, even though we're in the midst of the holidays and all of us have holiday mind, holiday mind, right? But even if I'm just here with you and I'm podcasting, I'll be here. Amen. All right. God bless you guys.